This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. James 3, 13 to 18, as Russ Brinkley reads the scriptures for us. Thank you, Pastor Lou. Good morning, Butte Bible Fellowship. It's great to be here with you today in the house of the Lord. So here we go with James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Today's message is entitled, Heavenly Wisdom versus Worldly Wisdom, and it's from James 3, 13 to 18. Now, previously, in James 1 to 12, James 3, 1 to 12, James was talking about the tongue, and he compared it to a bit in a horse's mouth. A small little bit can direct a strong, powerful stallion in any direction the writer would like to have it go. A rudder of a large ship can direct a large ship to go in any direction it wants it to go. The tongue is like a fire. It's like a spark that can set a whole city ablaze. And it's like a wild animal. And even wild animals, to some extent, can be tamed but no one can tame the tongue on their own. We need God, because our tongue, as powerful as it is, and as small as it is, is, well, let me put it as James described, James 3, 6, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. James does not mince any words. He's a straight shooter. He's telling you and me that the tongue can be used by the devil to tear down people, to accuse people, to gossip about people, to boast about our own lives and become self-centered. The tongue 
is very powerful. And in James 3, 9 to 12, he pinpoints one problem in particular. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now from this pinpointing of a problem that Christians who should know better and be different and speak loving, kind, thoughtful words are also capable of being critical and judgmental and destructive in what they say. How in the world are we to get victory in this battle? James says there are two sources of wisdom. And you and me as believers, you and I as believers, are battling evil. And we need to be discerning. Because anyone who doesn't know that they're in spiritual warfare will become a victim of spiritual warfare. If you think you're in a neutral place and that there's no influence on your life from the world, the flesh, and the devil, think again. We are in spiritual warfare. There's a battle raging all around us and affecting us. So the tongue of the believer can either be filled with true wisdom from above or the false wisdom from below. I see there's four points in this text. I just want to make a general observation to pull out the profound things from James 3, 13 to 18. James is first of all saying that wisdom, whether it's true or false, from heaven or from earth, comes from a source. It's either from God or the devil. Secondly, wisdom is something that's harbored in our hearts and it flows out of our hearts, whether it be good or bad. Third, wisdom is expressed outwardly by what we say and do. Whatever you harbor in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. Before psychologists came up with the phrase, a Freudian slip, saying something you didn't mean to say, but you really did mean to say it because it was in your heart, the Bible says what's in your heart comes out. Guard your heart because out of it come the issues of life, Proverbs 4.12. And fourth, it says wisdom either promotes unity or conflict. So if the source is evil, it's going to be disruptive, chaotic, resulting in confusion and damaged relationships and communities. Now, here's my outline for this text. What is the difference between heavenly and worldly wisdom? 
Heavenly wisdom is humble and kind. Worldly, so-called wisdom has evil motives. Worldly wisdom births chaos and evil. Heavenly wisdom reflects Jesus' life, the life of Jesus. His character and conduct is seen when we have heavenly wisdom. And heavenly wisdom births peace and righteousness. Let's look at this. First of all, heavenly wisdom is humble and kind. James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life or by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. James is throwing out a question. Who among you is wise? You know it, not because you can see their thinking processes or their decision-making uh, process, but you see it by their life, their lifestyle. Good deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. What is wisdom? I like to say wisdom is the skill to do God's will. Wisdom is the skill to do God's will. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view and following through on that. Wisdom is practical living directed by the word of God. That's wisdom. Now, it's coupled in this passage with understanding. It's, um, understanding is to apply God's word to specific settings and situations, to tailor, make, or custom fit the truth of God into your words, your relationships, and your responsibilities. So wisdom is the general principle of applying God's word to your life, and understanding is knowing exactly how it fits in. Both wisdom and understanding are from God, and that is the kind of wisdom that results in a life that exhibits good deeds. Now, humility comes from that wisdom. The wise are humble. The wise realize that a good life, characterized by good deeds, grows out of having a humble attitude and disposition. Romans 12.3, I love this verse. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to you, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Chuck Swindoll was using this verse to say, no worm theology allowed. On the one hand, you shouldn't think more highly of yourself, implying on the other hand, you shouldn't think too lowly of yourself. You should have a view of yourself that is just right. Humility is having an accurate assessment of who you are. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Wisdom is the insight to have an accurate assessment of who you are. You know your strengths, you know your limitations, you know what you are capable of, and you also know that you do need help from God and other people. You're not omnicompetent, able to do everything and not need anybody, but you're not inadequate either. You're just right 
in Christ. So worldly wisdom, in contrast to heavenly wisdom, heavenly wisdom being humble and kind, worldly wisdom has evil motives. It says in James 3, 14 to 15, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So here's what we learn from these verses, that because earthly or worldly wisdom harbors evil motives, did you know that the Latin word for motive means to move? So your motives are what moves you to do or say what you do or say. What is your motive behind what you're saying? If you have an evil motive, that of, of um, bitter envy, and the word for bitter is brackish or polluted water. Who wants to drink polluted water? Nobody does. But if your envy is so polluted that you're just full of jealousy, you want what any, everybody else has, and you'll do anything to get it, then you'll be working out of that motive. If you have selfish ambition, that is a desire to um, take charge and be in control for your own agenda, trampling on others, then you're going to see people as enemies, not as allies. That'll be your motive. We also notice that it either a person who has false, earthly, worldly wisdom either boasts about it or denies it. It boasts, boldly boasts, or dastardly denies the truth. Whether blatant or subtle, it's still a false and counterfeit wisdom that's straight from the devil. Whether it's demanding, some people are demanding, I'm here to take charge and take control, and you serve me, or it could be manipulative. It could be very subtle and very coy and conniving in the way it controls and takes over. It's still hurtful and damaging to personal relationships and to corporate unity. And it says such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It can neither be legitimatized as power over people is the way to go, or sugar-coated like, oh, I'm just a weak little person, but do what I say. It cannot be claimed to be from God. It must be labeled for what it is. It's from the world system, from the flesh, and from the devil. That's what we're talking about. That this world has discipled, in a negative way, Christians so that we default to the world system. The world system is the world apart from God, not wanting to reference God. And in our growing up years and watching models on TV and movies and other entertainment and other forms of education, we've learned that dog, this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Do unto others before they do unto you. Um, you need to have power over people, not give power to people. These are things that we've been discipled in. And because of that, 
the world system has had an influence in how we treat people and how and what we say to people. Did you know that if you watch the laugh track, if you listen to the laugh track in a TV sitcom, that the laughs are set up every time a put down is said. You do that. Next time you watch a sitcom and something insulting is said, laughter happens in the background. What is that doing? It's training you to be a smart aleck and to make wisecracks at the cost of people around you. That's the world system discipling you to treat people badly. And then, of course, the flesh has its desires. I want to be number one. I want to be uh, top dog. I want to uh, be in charge. And the flesh can be the source of negative words and actions. And of course, the devil, and it's not just the devil, it's saying this is demonic. So the devil is in charge, but he can't be all places and all times. He's not God, but he has fallen angels who serve him who are known as demons. And demons are trying to inform Christians to say something nasty, to say something uh, rude, to say something that is painful. So James is getting right at the heart of the matter. How is it that you could praise God and curse people? It's because of the world system discipling you. It's because of your own fleshly desires. And it's because demons are making suggestions that you're following through on. Wake up! You're in spiritual warfare. Wake up! A battle is going on. Let Jesus be Lord. Let Jesus be expressed through your life. And he'll change everything. So worldly wisdom births chaos and evil. James 3.16 For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Worldly, fleshly, demonic wisdom creates divisive confusion and perpetual perversion. It takes anything that's good and makes it bad. And it always wants to cause trouble and conflict. So what is James saying to you and me when he points, about, points out the negativity of worldly wisdom? He is saying you're in spiritual warfare. He's saying do not let it reign and rule in your life. He is saying the results of it are horrible. The consequences are terrible. You don't want that. Now, having made that point, he then directs us to the answer, which is heavenly wisdom. You want that. Heavenly wisdom reflects Jesus' life. James 3.17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. There's purity of heart in contrast to evil. There's a desire for other people's best interest. There's the pursuit of peace. Instead of wanting confusion and division, 
and chaos, there's the pursuit of peace, of shalom, well-being. There's a consideration of others. There's a reasonable submissiveness. Now, it's not just being submissive and being a doormat so everyone can walk on you. It's being reasonably submissive, open to reason, not a stubborn mule, but a person who's willing to yield. Two monks said, let's be like the world and have an argument. And one monk said to the other, I don't know what that is. We live in this commune of peace. I've never had an argument. How do you have an argument? And the other monk said, well, see this rock? Let's say this rock is my rock. And the other monk said, well, brother, if it's your monk, keep it. If it's your rock, keep it. And that was the end of the argument. It didn't go any farther because it takes two to have an argument. Number five, uh, overflowing generosity to help those in need and to forgive others. The word mercy means they're full of generosity to help those in need in a practical way and to forgive those who have hurt them and offended them. And this is, you're never more like Jesus than when you're, you have these qualities. Remember when Jesus was being nailed to the cross? Even as the soldiers were hammering the spikes through his wrist and through his ankles to the wooden cross, he was saying over and over again, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was full of mercy. And Christ is, is the abundant evidence of God's sourced words and actions. His words were from the Lord and his actions were from the Lord. He lived a good or a God life. And then Jesus is fair and respectful in the way he treated all people, whether they were Samaritans or Jews. He treated all people with dignity and respect. And Jesus was free from hypocrisy and duplicity. So then what is the answer to praising God and blessing people? The answer is to become more Christ-like by the Spirit of God. The answer is to emulate Jesus in character and in conduct. And what's going to happen? It says in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That is, that heavenly wisdom makes a person into a committed peacemaker who continually chooses peace and unity over conflict and division, and by that constant choice reflects and grows in the practical righteousness that characterizes God. It's not peace at any price but rather it's peace that comes from Christ. Colossians 2.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ umpire, so it calls a foul and a strike accurately. Here then is the difference between heavenly and worldly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom is humble and kind. Worldly wisdom has evil motives bitter envy and selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom births chaos and evil. 
Heavenly wisdom reflects the life of Jesus. And heavenly wisdom births peace and righteousness. So when James says, brothers, this ought not to be, that is this praising of God and the cursing of people, he now gives an answer or an antidote or a solution. Focus on Jesus. Become more like Jesus. And realize the insidiousness and the, the terrible effect that worldly, demonic, fleshly wisdom has on you. Say no to that and yes to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have addressed a very key area in our lives, for we all struggle in the things we say and the things we do. And we recognize there's a spiritual battle going on, not just the world system trying to disciple us and squeeze us into its mold, but also our own fleshly desires that insist on being right or in control and in charge or uh, to put down others and have what they have out of jealousy. Lord, forgive us for submitting to the world and the flesh and the suggestions of demons to want to accuse people and destroy people and to uh, do things that cause division in community. Lord, we don't want to be a part or parcel to any of that. We want you, Jesus, to be Lord. We want you, Jesus, to be living in us and expressing your life through us so that we are peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a great harvest of righteousness to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God that we have Jesus as the perfect sacrifice whose blood was shed so our sins are forgiven, but his blood continues to cover us and to give us the victory. As we trust in Jesus, we come before the Lord to remember what he's done. His body given for us, his blood shed for us. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and you will be proclaiming, Paul says, his death until he returns. So this is the practice that Jesus instituted to remember him, and this also is a time where we look forward to Christ coming back and join with the whole church in praying, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come back quickly. Amen? All right, let's prepare our hearts before the um, servers distribute the elements. Oh Lord, we look into our own hearts, and first of all, we confess that we have sinned and failed and fallen and said and done things that we are not proud of, and we ask for your forgiveness and cleansing, and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Jesus that you died on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future, and all of our sins are nailed to the cross, and they're canceled, the dead against us, and you've justified us in your faith, in your sight, and given us your righteousness, and we, we praise you and thank you for that. Fill us with your spirit. Control and empower us. Make us more like Jesus. And then, Lord, we do pray 
Thank you for dying on the cross. You didn't deserve to die. You were sinless. You were totally innocent. But you gave your sinless, innocent life in our place. You took our punishment for our sin. The wages of sin is death. You took our penalty, our punishment upon yourself in our place. And we just marvel. We just praise you. We are just dumbfounded and obliged by your incredible love that you should be the sacrifice and the substitute in our place, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Praise be to you, Jesus. And now, as we prepare our hearts and are confessed up to date, we pray that this would be a sweet time of communion that will talk to you that will tell you how much we love you, that we'll rededicate ourselves to you, that we will draw near to you and know that you'll draw near to us, that we'll discover that you've never left us. You've always been there. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.